Imagine falling over a thousand meters from a mountain in Switzerland in a blizzard and living to tell the tale. Well, my guest on the show this week is hiker and author Andrew Terrell, and that's exactly how his book begins. to the Hiker Podcast. I'm your host, Owen Hamilton. So that moment, according to Andrew, was the defining moment of what subsequently became a life lived in the mountains. Coming from a quaint suburb in London, Andrew was not made familiar with the wild and wonderful places of the world until his early teens. But when we, he went on a family trip to Dartmoor National Park, he knew that was where he wanted to be. In his book, which I'm currently reading, uh, Andrew details a 7,000 plus kilometre walk that took him from the very tippy toe of Italy to the Arctic Circle in Norway. And this was done way before Hiker existed, before Google Maps, and seemingly before even some paper maps were actually made available to the public. During the 18 month long trip, he traversed the Apennine Mountains of Italy, the Alps, and crossed much of mainland Europe in all the possible weather conditions you can imagine. I probably should say at this point, we currently don't have this route on Hiker. And we probably won't ever get to have Andrew's original route, given that was purely made up as he went along. And if you read the book, you will see what I mean. Uh, it doesn't exactly go in a straight line. Uh, I hope he forgives me for saying that. But we do have over 7,000 trails from all over the world. Yes, 7,000 as of this week. And we're adding an insane number of trails at the moment. So we're sure to have a trail for you. But if we're missing any trail, please do let us know. We're a small team and we appreciate all the help and guidance we can get. So if you're planning to hit the trail with confidence, you should check out Hiker Pro. Take the trail offline, save battery and keep safe knowing you're en route. Make sure to use the code podcast at checkout for a nice little discount. So back to Andrew. I have to say this book is well worth a read. I highly recommend that you pick up a copy. His memory over a lifetime and his attention to detail is incredibly impressive. I also really enjoyed our chat. Andrew has an incredible story to tell and a very refreshing outlook. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. So here's my interview with Andrew Terrell. Uh, Andrew uh, Terrell, am I pronouncing the, the, your surname correctly? It's Andrew Terrell. Yes, but I don't care how you pronounce it. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I think I noticed that you, you pronounced my name correctly the first time you, you said it that's because i looked it up because i hadn't a clue how to pronounce it so i thought <laughs> oh, i'm not gonna make a fool of myself i'm gonna look it up and pretend that i know how to pronounce names i've never come across before but of course now that i've admitted that i completely ruined my plan so there you go that's okay that's good well like every single show or every single guest i have on this podcast i even if it's a name that i i i've been saying for you know my 35 years on this planet i need, I need to check that i need to make sure that i'm saying it correctly because i don't want to look like a fool because it's all about how you look you know <laughs> well i think it's good to look like a fool because we all are so we should make the most of it absolutely um well andrew terrell it's it's it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the, the the hiker podcast thanks for for making the time and, and coming on and having a chat thank you so much for inviting me i really appreciate it um so how i came about you was actually through uh i can't remember exactly which one it was but on a facebook group you had uh, posted about a a long distance hike that you did back in 1997, I believe. Yeah, 24 ago, almost almost 25. Um, it was a Facebook group that was about long hikes in Europe, yeah. I think, because I, I can't <laughs> remember which group it was. I don't know. 
And I just decided to share some pictures from a long journey and a few tales. And I captured a few people's interest. And I think you saw it and yeah. you reached out. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm, I'm well, I suppose I've got the dream job because I am obsessed with maps. And the thing that caught my eye, apart from the beautiful images, like absolutely stunning images, and the story that went along with them was the, the map that you posted along with those images, which uh, showed a, a line that went from the, the tippy toe of the boot of Italy uh, right to the, to the very top of Norway. Uh, and that just it caught my attention and it, it blew my mind that someone had done something like that. Now, we, we, we've, we've had, uh, even recently enough, we've had a couple of hikers that have done some pretty incredible things, notably uh, an interview that I just did with a, a French guy who's hiking from Paris and is doing a circle, like a trip around the world, which is, you know, mind blowing in its own. But wow. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. But it, it's 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 really opened up this whole world of these super, super, super long hikes, you know, uh, that people have done. And for you to do something back in 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 1997 not that it's that long ago but we didn't have the technology that we do now so what what was it like kind of planning a trip like that so your your question involved so many things i love to respond to the, the first thing was how many people are engaged in amazing hikes mm. and i think possibly there have always been people doing these amazing hikes but not many people shout about them or write books about them in that egotistical way that authors obviously have because they feel like their stories are worth sharing. But I, I imagine there were people going on long hikes. They just weren't talking about them and they weren't so accessible because there wasn't the social media means for sharing the journeys. Mm. Um, I've, as, as I've seen with the different Facebook groups I've joined in recent years, how many people are doing this? Mm -hmm. which is so gratifying to see. And yeah, maybe it's easier to plan now because we have access to so much information. But when you're out there, I don't think it changes much about the journey itself because you're still, you know, on the ground walking and having those experiences, whether you're sharing pictures on social media or not. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, for me, planning was, in some ways it was really simple because I knew where I wanted to walk and... I knew I just had to go out and do the walk, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to plan anything in super great detail, finding out things that I don't know when I'm actually there, rather than being you know, completely prepped and knowing what's going to be in every single valley and what I'm going to see and what kind of experiences I'm, I'm going to have. For me, that would take away a little bit of the adventure, mm -hmm. you know, being surprised and running into barriers that perhaps you should know about in advance but didn't, those kind of things increase the adventure and make it a more worthwhile undertaking. Mm -hmm. And so planning for me was, it was great that I didn't have detailed planning because then I could end up with the kind of experience I wanted, even if it made life uncomfortable at times. So, so of course, when, when I planned, I, st I started planning it in 95, 96, was when I, when I decided to, to do the journey. And the, the internet really was, you know, a shadow of the information powerhouse it is today. And I didn't use it at all in planning. Mm. I, I, did, I didn't have a computer. There was probably one at my local library in Pinner in suburban London, but I don't know. Um, I wasn't, I didn't, you know, it was kind of off my radar, the internet. So all I had were books in the library and the few maps that I could get from map stores in central London. and. It was difficult in one sense because there weren't even maps of many of the places I passed through. Like the, I, my goal was to walk the length of the Apennine mountain chain in Italy, um, was the starting point of the journey, and then the Alps, and then the center of Europe, and then walking the length of Norway. But the start of a journey, I just couldn't find maps. Uh, they didn't exist. Supposedly, the Italian um, military had commissioned a bunch of detailed maps, but no one could track them down who I asked in, in the map stores. No one seemed to know 
you know where they existed so when it came down to the details of a journey i just say well i'll just I'll, I'll, I'll obviously just have to get maps when i get to those places and figure out the small print of the journey when i'm there mm. so basically I, I i had a big overall map of europe that showed the you know in general the highest mountain ranges and my goal was just to walk through the highest bits i could find and figure out exactly where i was going to go on the ground when i got there interesting um because yeah it's such a stark difference to to these days like obviously we're uh hesitant to say we're we're responsible for it but we we, you know we 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 try to give as many people access to 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 this type of information as possible with hiker um but yeah i just can't imagine back then you know not having that access to that information when it's so readily available these days yeah i guess it's like anything in life you don't miss what you don't know Mm -hmm. so I didn't know that one day, some in the far distant future, I would be able to look at a satellite picture and zoom in onto a place that was in the middle <laughs> of nowhere. I, such a thing doesn't even cross your mind. You you go with what you have, and you don't really, apart from the pioneers, who are the people who make you know who make you move things forward, which I'm not. Um, you 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 go with what you know, and you make the best of it. Yeah. And but of course, my, my approach did lead to a lot of a lot of surprises and, and a lot of adventures, which weren't necessarily comfortable or pleasant at the time. Because mm-hmm. um, you, know, you always have expectations, no matter what you're doing in life. You have a mental picture in your own brain about what you're going to see. And in my, my case, I had an expectation of what the mountains of southern Italy were going to look like because I'd seen one photo in one really old guidebook that showed the mountains in a specific way, which was, you know, open and rocky. And therefore I imagined really easy tra- to traverse. And so I, I went with an expectation of wonderful high mountain walking. And what I found when I got there was that it was mostly almost entirely covered by forests and there were no trails and no one walked there. And so it was an entirely different journey from the one wow. I expected. Wow. Um, as you'll find out when you get into the book to, to that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was, and, and that was one of one of the big challenges, especially early on, because not only was I a mountain walker, so I was used to being, you know, I'd walked in the Lake District and the Pennines and Scotland, and my, my thing was walking in open space. Mm-hmm. So I had no real experience of forest walking and no real desire to be a forest walker because i thought forests were kind of you know second tier environments down in the valley that you you pass through on on route to the only landscapes that really matter which is high mountains um that was kind of what i felt without really you know self immersed in this tangled forest and so much of it really was tangled um there's a there's a term in southern italy called the um sotto bosco which literally means the underwood and it describes this amazing mesh of dwarf beech trees and brambles and all kinds of vegetation that genuinely is impenetrable in places. And, and there was me with my ridiculously large backpack um, trying to push my way through this and struggling because it really wasn't what I wanted the journey to be. Wow. And it, sorry, we, we, I suppose at this point we'll mention your book as well, because it, it didn't mention it so far, um, that you did write a book about your adventure. And um, I have, yeah. yes, uh, which which you kindly sent to me in a digital format, but I actually went and got a, 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 um, a softback copy of it. And I, I, I haven't read the full thing, uh, but I am getting into it. But I suppose what I'd like to talk about before we go even further into the adventure, and we don't want to go too far into it, because again, like the you want people to, to to kind of read this for themselves and really get to get the detail of it. But one of the things that yeah, uh, read my book. <laughs> yeah, read my book. That would be nice. That would we'll just we'll, we'll stop the we'll stop the interview. I'll just read page by page now for the for the rest of the interview. Um, but the the the, the, the prologue of this uh, really captured my attention uh where it you know wh- how you kind of came up with the idea of doing a trip like this was actually out on another trip which didn't go so well if you if you don't mind me saying 
Yeah, that's a nice understated way of putting it. I think. <laughs> you know, mountaineer, hill-going folk, folk are very good at using understatement to um, describe a situation. And yeah, I, I say it, it, it didn't really go the way I planned. I, I, I managed to find a quicker way down from a Swiss pass than I really intended. But it did get me to the bottom faster. So there was some benefit in that. I wasn't, it, it was going to be a really difficult descent anyway. And in some ways I made it really easy. Um, uh, yeah. What was uh, what? I'm sorry. What was what was the the, the experience? I, obviously, you detail the experience from memory in the book, um, but the the recovery from that and and you know what drew drove you to deciding I'm going to go do this again and I'm going to do it even bigger this time. So um, the, the the background is I grew up in the suburbs of London and that was kind of the only life I knew and it, it was pretty much utterly removed from wild nature you know everything in the suburbs is manicured and altered for human benefit and so for the first 15 years of my life I had absolutely no idea that the wilderness was really a thing you know you 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 read a bit you learn about it at school and you watch news stories about it and wildlife documentaries and so you know it, it kind of seems like an exciting thing the wild but for me, it was completely distant and abstract and didn't, didn't affect my life at all until a family um, um, holiday where I saw the mountains for the first time. I think it was, was Dartmoor. And I just fell head over heels with this place that had an atmosphere that called to me in ways I didn't understand and couldn't possibly articulate back then. And so from seeing Dartmoor for, for the first time on that family holiday, I began obsessing about wild places and eventually convinced my parents to do another family holiday in the mountains of Wales. And we walked up Mount Snowdon. We, yeah, we followed the, the tourist path up the mountain. And although there were people and the, the train running nearby, um, I didn't notice them. All I saw was this wild, wild mountain mm. landscape of clouds and streams and rock that, that I just fell head over heels in love with. And so from that point on, my life was all about getting into the wild as, as much as I could. Um, I chose a college that was, that was near the Pennines um, purely because it was near open space. Um, the, the academic side of things had no interest to me <laughs> whatsoever. In fact, how, how I passed course, I have no idea because I spent so much of my time away in the hills when I, when I should have been studying. Um, I think the assessors really made a mistake, but that's another story. Um, but then after college, um, I, although I wanted to be in mountains all the time, I had no idea how to make that the reality because I knew I had to work. I had to earn money. I had to pay my way. You know, I had to fit into this society that I was a part of and that everyone you told me I, I had to be a part of, you know, you have to work, you have to save for the future. Mm -hmm. You have to do your bit. Um, and so for my early twenties after college, I was kind of living this half life of torment where I was doing what I knew you had to do. But it was the opposite of everything I wanted to be, which was, you know, wandering in freedom in the mountains, being true to who I knew I was inside. And so I went to the mountains for every single, uh, every single opportunity I had, you know, I, I traveled to them um, um, at least what well, at least one weekend for all my holidays, um, but it wasn't enough. Only mm. I, I was on this trip in the Bernese Oberland, and I was there out of season um, because I wanted to have the mountains to myself. So the snow line was still really low, and crossing the passes was fairly fairly challenging. And I came to this one particular pass, the Hurtuli Pass, and. It was when I was descending from that in the morning that I, a few choices and choices I'd made kind of finally caught up with me and I, 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 I made a mistake and a few seconds later, I, I have no idea how long it was, I found myself a thousand feet lower down the mountain having, having experienced a very intense moment of life that could have easily been the end of my life. And doing that really showed me how 
fragile life is and how much of a rare gift it is and how if I really wanted to make the most of what I had, I had to take control of it, you know, mm. choose my own path, even if it ran counter to the path that everyone I knew told me I should be following. And that's mm. when I finally came with the idea to, you know, quit following the beaten path and do something a little bit different. Uh, uh, that's mind blowing that you, you, you managed to, to, get out relatively unscathed. I, I do remember in this, in the story that how, how you managed to get down from the mountain, even from there, because it just the fall wasn't the end of it. You did have to get yourself to, to, to safe ground as well. After that, with some, some injuries you picked up on the way. Um, and uh, where did the inspiration then do, come from to do what you did? So the, the actual, the European trip of going across the highest mountains? Was it just that that yearning for high ground? Yeah, so I, after falling down from the mountain and making the decision to quit work and escape, um, the first thing I did was went for a six-month hike uh, through the Alps in 1990. So a year after the accident, um, I walked from Vienna um, all the way through the Alps to Montan on the Mediterranean coast following a really weaving route to it, it, it wasn't a straight line kind mm. of thing because I just wanted to see the corner of the Alps that I possibly could. And so those six months proved to me that that was a life I was supposed to live. And going back to work after it to save money for the next journey was easier because now I really had a purpose. You know, I, I was working to save money so I could spend more time in, in the mountains. So the following summer, I spent three months walking through the Pyrenees um, there are three trails that, that traverse the Pyrenees, one in France, one in Spain, and one that kind of goes along the middle. Mm-hmm. And rather than one of them, I decided it would be more fun to kind of walk all three of them at once and you know, weave through the highlights of them. So, so I went far longer in the range than most people doing that traverse spend. And, and, and again, it was, just, it was just perfect. But of it, I realized that it wasn't perfect because I had to go back you know, summer was over. I had to go back to London, back to work and what I really wanted. So, so I, I started thinking, well, maybe I need a journey that's even bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Something that's more to walk. It's almost a way of life. Um, and so I, I thought about which rain in the world I could explore next, you know, the Himalaya, the Rockies, the Andes, etc. But I did it would be good to finish thoroughly exploring my own continent first and so i looked at a map of europe quite simply and looked at the mountain ranges i hadn't walked the complete length of yet and saw the uh, the um um, you know the the mountain range that stretches up the length of italy and then the mountains that stretch the length of norway um and i was considering which of them i should walk and and i was back at work and i think i i spoke out loud without realizing it because I, I i i said to myself why don't i walk them both in one go and a, a, a voice came back from the desk nearby that said because too far um, <laughs> but you, you can't do that it's too far and so hearing that was like huh well, maybe i can do that i don't like people telling me what i can't do um so i just came up with the plan of starting in the south of italy and walking the, the length of the 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 Apennines, um, and then joining jo- joining them to Norway by w- weaving through the wildest parts of everything in between that I could find, and that's how the journey kind of kind of formed. And, and how long did this take? I think I, I, I think you mentioned that it take it took about eighteen months, and it was that in in, in one go that you did it. Yeah, so I wanted a continuous journey that that started in spring, went through a summer, went through a whole winter, went through spring again, went through summer. Um, so, you know, it 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 ended up being an eighteen month journey, and it was it was probably slower than many hikers would do it these days because kit is so much lighter, and there's 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 quite a philosophy of you know moving fast and light. And, and I know many hikers who have done 7,000 mile hikes in, you know, nine or nine or 10 months. Um, 
but for me, I wanted a journey that really stretched out over a long distance, that that I over a long time, that I didn't have have to rush. Um, and also, it was a case of fitting in with the seasons to a certain extent, mm. um, because I didn't want to start in the south of Italy when the mountain snows were too deep, and they do have a fair amount of snow snow there on on the highest peaks. So I started in in the spring when when the snows were thawing away. The aim was to get across the Alps six months later before the winter snows grew too deep. But I didn't want to arrive at the bottom of Scandinavia um, and climb up into the Norwegian mountains until their mountain snows started to thaw again. Because you know it's they have they have a they have a fairly real winter up there. Mm-hmm. And of course, I wanted to finish the Arctic before the Arctic winter came back in again. So spending eight eighteen months over it and kind of working with the seasons just kind of felt natural and right. So I I do remember that you mentioned in the book that you 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 did end up in the Alps in in winter and and it, it, the snows did start to come in. Yeah, yeah. The aim was to experience a little bit of it, but get out of the mountains before there was a real avalanche risk and before the snows, you know, you know, so deep that I couldn't cross them. Mm. Um, and I did buy, so, so I, I, I got to the end of the Alps by early December, which turned out to be just about perfect. Okay. And I did buy snow, snowshoes to help me traverse the snows as they were starting to deepen. Um, but of course, back then, I didn't really know what I was doing. and I didn't know what a good pair of snowshoes l- looked like. And the ones I bought, which were the only ones I could find, actually made, made life a lot harder. Um, my, my, my feet were entirely strapped down in place rather than having a heel that came free. And the snowshoes didn't have spikes underneath them to stop me from slipping backwards when the terrain was anything other than flat. So there were certainly some entertaining moments when I was trying to make my way across alpine passes with these um, useless torture implements I to strap to my feet. But I think the journey had a lot of moments like that where ignorance maybe hindered effective travel, but added greatly to the enjoyment in hindsight that the journey gave me. Yeah. One of the things that I was wondering about as well is, and I don't like, talking too much about gear and equipment on this this show is not really what it's about but like doing these long distance trails even nowadays includes a lot of you know changing of gear you know hikers doing stuff like the pct or some of the e e routes in in europe and they have to change boots or change trail runners or whatever they use uh once or possibly even twice on on a given trip so when you're doing something like that, like did did you have to change gear much? Did you have to, you know, hop off the mountains and go into a town and and find a an outdoor gear shop, or how, how did you manage something like that? There weren't too many changes. Um, I I was fortunate that I I managed to find a few gear sponsors prior to the journey that helped to make it affordable. Um, low alpine. To- bunch of clothing Cotswold Outdoor um, gave me a good discount at one of their stores um, Scarpa gave me as many pairs of hiking boots as I needed which was actually fantastic mm. although I think I only got through um, three pairs of boots in the end over the over the 11,000 kilometers so they lasted fairly well um, I used a different tent for the second half of the journey I had a lightweight tent made by um, um, Hang on a minute. Made by um, uh, uh, apologies for this. Sometimes my stammer, which I've almost almost completely beaten in real life, comes back to haunt me when I'm speaking on the phone. It's just the nature of the That's beast, absolutely especially if I've been talking to you. Okay, um, I used a lightweight tent for the first half of the journey, made by Robert Saunders Limited, who no longer exist, unfortunately. Mm. Um, they, they were they were fantastic tents and a real pioneer of travel. Um, but then when winter came, along, I needed a slightly sturdier tent, so so I had that posted posted 
out to me by my parents who were incredibly supportive during the journey. Um, most of the stuff, you know, I just used the clothes I had and made them last. Mm. Um, I, yeah. And, and I think I travel, I'm, I, because I, I travel slowly and gently, I feel like the outdoor gear tends to better than it does when you're really pushing hard if that makes mm. sense yeah no that does make sense the wear and tear on on someone who's moving, moving a lot faster would it may it, it it's it's physics i suppose like the more the faster you move uh the more friction is there and so on and so forth so i'm sure that that, that makes absolute sense but um i want to know about the i suppose the the experience of of walking that distance on your own as well uh, obviously solo hiking is is not a new thing it's it's not something that's only been invented in the last 20 30 years solo hiking has been going on <laughs> since man could walk um but uh, the, the 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 experience of doing something like that coming from uh, you know uh, you come from london uh, a borough of london you you know you're surrounded by civilization obviously you had your experience of of walking long distances beforehand but spending 18 months more or less on your own obviously going meeting people potentially meeting people on trail although it sounds like you didn't meet people on some parts of these at these walks for days possibly even weeks um what was that experience like it was many things is the honest answer it was what I wanted to start mm. with because um, being alone was preferred state. I, I grew up with a really bad stammer, which you can probably hear from time to time as, as I talk. And that made being in company uh, really stressful. I, I remember, you know, being at school and the teachers would have me stand up in front of the class and expect me to read out loud and because they thought it would help in, in the end it made things worse because it was just torture as i stood there unable to get a single word out with the whole class roaring in laughter and so social situations were always things of great anxiety to me and so escaping to the mountains it, it was one of the reasons i went was because in the mountains i could be alone and i could relax and i'd be myself and i felt free and safe mm. and of course there were other reasons behind why the mountains called that i didn't understand back then that I only came to stand as my as my walk across Europe developed. Um, I, w- I won't go into those now because I don't think the relevant uh, the question you asked. <laughs> um, what I wanted, even if the forests intimidated me and scared me because I wasn't used to them and they weren't what I what I'd expected, I was I knew I was still doing something that I wanted in a way that I wanted to do it. And so for the first six months of the journey, I think hiking alone was absolutely fine. I didn't, I didn't feel lonely um, because I was just living my dream. But then as autumn turned towards winter, I began to move beyond that six-month phase where I could kind of pretend to myself that I was, uh, I, I was completely okay by myself. You know, I, I was a happy-go-lucky wilderness wilderness wanderer who needed nothing but the open trail i began to realize actually i did need people and it was made worse because my my parents came out to visit me at the base of the alps before i started that stage of a journey and then leaving them and suddenly becoming alone again after you know a week of wonderful parental companionship and then one of my brothers and a friend joined me in the dolomites and we had a fantastic week of laughter we we behaved you know in such a infantile way the way we were teasing each other and laughing (laughs) laughing isn't something you really do on a solo walk when you are alone um because Mm. people probably look at you strangely if you were just walking along giggling to yourself (laughs) Um, Although I probably did that too, but <laughs> after, after without even realizing, I was going to say like I definitely have found myself like <laughs> when I'm out for days on end and I'm on my own, I will start laughing to myself. Maybe because I've run out of food <laughs> and I need to get to the well, next end. It's true, there is that, but it's very different from the kind of laughter you have when you're with other people. Of course, and it's very different from the kind of companionship you get and 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 the simple sharing and and also the confidence you get from being with people even if you're the most experienced one there and you know your own abilities well 
when you're with someone else, it just makes your connection with the mountains and how you proceed such a different thing that in, 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 in some ways, solo walking and walking even with one other person are two completely different games. Mm. So yeah, I, I had that wonderful week with, with, my, with one of my brothers and a friend and then suddenly going alone afterwards and being faced by the deepening winter and the knowledge that I still had a year of walking alone set me into this almost almost panic attack of loneliness um where suddenly i lost connection with who i was and why i was doing what i was doing and i managed to get on top of it um but it kind of still lingered in the background from that point on um as winter grew colder and so it became a developing part of the journey that i knew now that I wasn't who I thought I was in the, you know, I, 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 I thought I was someone who could be alone in the mountains and that was all I needed. I suddenly discovered that there was more to me than that, but because of how terrifying the loneliness had been when it hit, it was something I was too scared to try and figure out. And so that's something that I write about more in the book that describes the second half of my journey and I guess I don't really want to give away how that developed. Mm. But I think the important thing is the journey was so long, you know, longer than the usual six-month summer through hike, that it took me to places that I don't think I would have reached any other way. And I think it helped me grow in self-knowledge um, because it was as long as it was. I, it, it gave It forced me to explore realities that I think in ordinary life, especially, let alone on a six month hike, I never would have needed to face up to. Mm. And the, the places that you went on this hike, you're, you're talking about obviously vastly different landscapes, but vastly different, not vastly different because they were all, I suppose, European, but you're uh, the, the toe of of Italy compared to the the Arctic Circle. Um, what what was the what was it like? Kind of mingling with these cultures when you did uh, eventually go through various different towns and villages. Yeah, the landscape thing was fascinating. Just you know, watching a Mediterranean landscape evolve into a high mountain landscape in the central Apennines, and then you know the Alps are very different. The forests of Central Europe have a primal atmosphere all of you all, all of your own and although you know you're in the heart of the world's most most developed and potentially over on continent you can still find genuine wildness mm. not necessarily wilderness but wildness for sure and then of course by the time you get to norway and up, up to the up to the far arctic it's an entirely different natural environment from where, from where i started and so linking it all together was fascinating in one journey but of course, the people aspect was was fantastic too. You know, the the hilltop villages of southern Italy have a wonderful nature and ambience and way of life and and and, and, and life lived outdoors culture that's so different from how how people in Scandinavia live. And that added a, an extra element to the journey again that I hadn't anticipated. I, I really, I was really going because I wanted. I just wanted to spend time in the mountains, and it, I wasn't doing it because I wanted to get from one mm. place to. I was doing it because I just wanted to be in the mountains, and you kind of need some structure to justify it. Um, and so I went for nature, but I found so much more from the human encounters. Some were, most were good. Some were hysterical. A few were. A little sketchier. Um, the, some some were bad because you know not everyone is willing to help a, a, a passing tramp and is happy to turn them away. Um, you know, so there were ups and downs. But the whole thing, yeah, getting to see a side of Europe and a side of Europe's people that I wouldn't have normally seen if I'd just been a, a, a you know so-called normal tourist really added to the whole experience. It's one of the the. I suppose the best aspects, I suppose the, the least spoken about aspects of liking, uh, hiking long distances is the people. Now, I think it's being spoken about a little bit more now because 
hiking is i suppose it's a, a through hiking or long distance hiking is is becoming more popularized maybe because of social media well what am i saying absolutely because of social media uh <laughs> but for like it's coming into the limelight a lot more um but part of that is is realizing that these long distance hikes people go seeking something and one of the things that they they didn't expect to to, to get was their interactions with people uh, the people that they meet on trail so like obviously you've got the super uh, long trail zone in the united states they're more popular you've got the pct which would be you're still obviously wild you're still in wild areas of, of the united states and you could spend days uh, on your own but parts of it are like a little mini festival you know you're 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 shacked up with 20 other hikers in a in the backyard of someone's house and uh, you're having a great time but that's part of of the experience is is meeting these people but then going through some of the towns the uh the trail towns that they call them over there where you're they're, they nearly have an economy set up around these trails like like the the, the tour de mont blanc or a lot of the alpine trails um where a lot of the infrastructure is there a lot of businesses are set up to cater for hikers and that 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 is like a magnet for people to come in and actually to to experience those types of people but sorry my point was that it's it's becoming more popularized but it's it is still one of the least Sp- uh, spoken about aspects of long distance hiking when i think it's it's a very important part of it yeah it's it absolutely is a very important part of it and one thing i didn't get at the start of my journey when i was all about being by myself i kind of forgot the most basic natural part of being human is is that we evolved as a social species um that's mm. kind of what we are and that's kind of how we got to <laughs> the mess we're in today um just because <laughs> you know work together and support one another and and, and and together we've created this world that we live in we haven't done it in isolation and so i came to understand that as i walked but of course the, the the difference with the journey that i was fortunate enough to go on was that especially in southern italy i was passing through places where they simply don't see long distance backpackers they didn't then and many of those places still don't now um, mm. And so I'd, I'd turn up in this dusty Italian village and I'd find myself surrounded by people who, uh, you know, what the hell are you doing in Italian, <laughs> course, um, which I only barely understood because my Italian was rubbish. Um, and that added to it. You know, I, it, it wasn't like a hundred hikers had passed through before. Um, I was I was the first one and I probably haven't been that many since. And many of the many of the villages are in were in places that tourists don't even go to anyway, let alone hikers. Mm. And so that added greatly to the experience, um, for, for sure. Um, but even when I got to popular areas like the Alps, which of course you know even back in the nineties was you know it's these tens of thousands of people who go just to walk and climb. Um, I was there out of season. And so it was between the summer hiking season and the winter ski season. So the mountains were empty and the villages were having their downtime. So even in those situations, you know, I got to be the, the only hiker passing through, which wow. made me, which made me a curiosity to the people. And it just made the whole thing more interesting. Um, and, 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 uh, and, and so throughout the whole journey, the number of backpackers I actually ran into, um, I could count on two hands. I saw hikers near trailheads um, during during the summer in Italy, in mm-hmm. the Alps. I saw a few hikers down in the valleys. Um, in Norway, there are only a couple of places where I ran into other people in the mountains because when I, when I started there, the snowpack was still really deep. And so the mountains were completely empty. Um, and there was a, there was a brief window in July at the, uh, in, in, the, in, a, in a mountain range in a way called the Trollheim and where, where I finally got to share the paths with other people. It was like a, a seven day period. And then when I got to the Arctic, um, by the time I got there, everyone else had gone home. So again, the mountains, I had them completely to myself. And for me, it's one of the interesting things, and it sums up 
one of the things I, fa- I, I found about Europe, which was, un- which was un- un- unexpected, was, you know, we do have this vision of Europe as being a place where you can't have adventures because it's, mm. you know, over-civilized and overdeveloped and overrun. But I found, you know, this, this, this kind of hidden parallel continent um, in the margins of civilization that I truly did have to myself and that I saw so few people in and that was shocking, shockingly wild and natural and unspoiled. And it may not be, you know, the, the wild places may not have been vast by global standards. You know, it's not Alaska, although Norway wasn't too dissimilar. Um, you know, it, 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 it may be a place you could walk out of in three hours. But when you're actually in it and immersed in it, it's very, it, it's very real and so satisfyingly wild that it was, it, it was, it was so much more than I expected it to be. Well, I, I guess a bit of that is about your perspective on it. It's, it's, it's how you look at things. Like we've got some, I live in Dublin here and I'm not too far away from the Wicklow mountains and it's the most popular uh, park maybe people in the southwest in uh, County Kerry uh, might disagree with that but <laughs> I'm from here and this is my neck of the woods and I'm going to say this is the most popular park anyway um, we have very popular trails you, you know people you could walk up there on a Saturday afternoon and there's people everywhere uh, and you might be drawn to those people and see oh, this trail is very busy or this mountain is very busy or this path is very busy. Oh, this car park is full, blah, blah, blah. You know, those are the very obvious things. But if you just kind of, I'm not saying ignore those things, but hiking or being in the outdoors is all being pre- about being present in the moment and being present in, in the nature that's around you. So just kind of experience, uh, trying try to focus on what y- your... Uh, and uh, trying to find the, the best way of describing this without without saying just ignore them but essentially that's what I'm, I'm trying to say is is it, uh, focusing on what you're experiencing focus on your own surroundings n- not focusing on oh there's just too many people here I'm not getting the best view you're all getting the best view everyone that's out there is getting the best view um I don't know would you would that any of that resonate with you? I, I suppose you, you, the trails that you would have done would have been vastly more kind of wild than than that. But I'm sure there was parts of it where there were people hiking around you, and you just kind of were. Well, this is just this part of the world, and but it's still wild. Yeah, there there were a handful places on that journey where there were that were teeming. You know, the the tourist trailhead honeypots that everyone can get to i'd find crowds there and it, in some ways how i reacted to them was part of a long journey and initially when i was in my early walking days i resented having mm. other people around me and I, I think that's just an honest description of how i felt because i wanted the mountains to myself and i had unrealistic expectations about about you know almost feeling like i owed that uh, i was owed that by the landscape but of course that's not reality and eventually i got over myself um and now i i love seeing places in the mountains where there are crowds because i do like seeing that so many people are out and about enjoying nature um especially when they're treading carefully and not trampling over everything or leaving you know trash behind um but I, for the kind of nature connection that I most go to the mountains to find, I don't think I can find that in, in a crowded place. So mm-hmm. I get what you're saying about, you know, you, you kind of have to push them to mind and ignore them. The way I do that is choosing to go at times of day True. when people aren't there or in the absolute worst conditions where, you know, the, the 60 mile an hour winds and the flying snow whatever can really touch every single sense and i'm 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 not thinking about other people because there's no one else out there who's mad enough to really enjoy these these type type of situations and i've also found it's easy to find places away from the main paths where most people don't go um I remember having a weekend in the lake district and i think it was I, i think it was march so it wasn't the most popular time of the year 
Um, but, you know, there are still hundreds and hundreds of people about. But because I looked at the map and I chose, chose a valley and a cirque um, where no one else would likely to go because there was, there was no path there, um, I, I, I remember spending almost 48 hours and not seeing a single other person. And so with a little imagination and a, and then a few choices, and obviously you have to be a little bit competent to be able to do this, but you, you can find solitude. And if you treat these places without trails gently so that no one else knows you've been there, you know, it, it becomes a viable way to get the experiences you want. But, but of course, mm. some people love having lots of people around and that's around them in the mountains. And that's absolutely fine too. Mm. It's just, some of us are, you know, anti-social buggers and we, <laughs> and, and we like to find that solitude. Yeah. Well, actually, it, when you just said they're choosing times and, and conditions that other people are not likely to show up, that was me this morning. I went up uh, a local mountain in, in Wicklow at six o'clock in the morning and it was sideways wind, uh, sorry, by so, snow, sorry, uh, with 60 mile an hour winds um and it was absolutely spectacular they got a, a one of the most beautiful sunrises that i've ever seen in my entire life and uh it was safe like it was a slippy at times but it was it's one of those those moments right there where i was like okay i have this mountain to myself i know no one's gonna no one's going to be here um so yeah it's it's finding those moments in the day obviously as you said a bit of competence a bit of uh, mountain skills uh, comes in handy for those types of experiences but even on established trails, you can find those types of experiences when you go at certain times or certain days of the week. Exactly. And it's all about the... Exactly. It's all about the rewards you earn. Sometimes you get the greatest rewards when you have to struggle the most. And mm. so, you know, going for a long walk up Europe is sometimes a struggle, but because of the scope of the journey, um you get so much more back from it if that makes sense like you, you could have gone up the mountain this morning at noon um on a beautiful spring day and had a great time but the memories that you built and the, the, that are now a part of who you are which you can't erase because you did it at 6 a.m in a snowstorm um for sunrise you know it's 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 a whole it it's a greater it's a greater addition to your life because it was so hard earned. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, think, that's what I think anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I think the wind that I experienced at the, at the, the, the top, the summit of the mountain is definitely something that's imprinted in my, my memory. I don't think I'll ever going to forget that. Uh, my, my face was completely frozen solid afterwards. Um, when you finished this trip, uh, uh, something that that comes up quite a lot is this uh, post trail depression. It's, I, I don't know if this is necessarily a new thing, um, that's uh, that's happened. But this this experience of coming off a long distance adventure and not really being able to adapt to the the quote unquote real world or the unreal world as we would call it. <laughs> um, did you experience that? So I know exactly what you're talking about. And I've had friends who have done long journeys, you know, on foot or by bicycle who have shared that they felt this. And I had it after my Alpine walk because I didn't want the walk to end. I wanted to keep walking. And I had it after my Pyrenees walk when I decided that I needed something longer. But at the end of my, my walk across Europe, I realized I, I, I changed enough over the course of those 18 months that I realized the journey wasn't ending, even though it was physically ending. So we touched on the fact that you have, you know, memories that become a part of who you were. I realized that everything I'd experienced on the journey and everything I'd learned and every single way I changed remained with me, even if that particular journey wasn't continuing. And so I, I, I knew that I could carry them back to London with me and I could dip into any part of the continent and relive those experiences that I'd had, you know, how I felt and what I'd seen remained so fresh and strong. And, and, and I sensed that if I suddenly let myself get all sad about what I didn't have, um, I would be missing so many of the lessons that I'd supposedly learned while I was underway. 
And one of the things we, we touched about earlier was, you know, expectations. I expected the mountains of southern Italy to be a particular way. And I started enjoying them when I managed to get past my expectations and saw them as they really were. And when I, when I did that, I could focus on where I was and really live it to the full. And so after the journey, it was the same thing. I had all these insights into myself and nature and life and how I fitted into everything. And, and I realized that, you know, I could, I could spend time feeling bummed that I wasn't on a long walk anymore, or I could actually focus on where I was and all the wonderful gifts I had in my life and all the things that I still had lying ahead of me. And if I, if I did that, focus on what I had, not what I didn't, then there was absolutely no need for the, you know, the post-trip, um, post-trip depression. Mm. And that's kind of how, how it turned out. I, I, I returned home absolutely ecstatic because of the experience I'd had. And that, that, that carried through when I returned to work, I found value in doing the best I could, I could with it rather than lamenting that I wasn't in the mountains. I thought, so I'm at work. Um, I have a job to do. Let's do it as well as I can. And it actually created meaning where there hadn't been meaning prior to the trip. Um, and of course, shortly after getting back home, I started thinking about, well, what am I going to do next? And so, you know, mm -hmm. I, I had another big trip to plan anyway. So, you know, uh, I had other journeys to look forward to. Um, and so I was fortunate, I guess, that I realized the journey didn't end and there was nothing to be sad about. That's it. Uh... The first time, uh, honestly, the first time on this on this show that I've I've, I've interviewed someone that 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 didn't experience that. Uh, I suppose you had done it in in the past, but on something like this, I I really would have expected that to pro to be prolonged. But hopefully, someone who has experienced that or like is is planning a long distance hike can kind of take something from that, and and it'll help them when they go back to the unreal world um after after their adventure but you you mentioned there about planning the the, the next trip or the next journey what, what 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 did come next or is is that something for another book um i i probably won't write another book of, i won't write a book about the next journey because i ended up falling in love during it which completely changed my life and the continent that i call home um and so that's all the you know, even more personal than the stuff I describe in the books I have written, because partly because it's about someone else, not just not just myself. Mm. Um, I just having walked, you know, the length of the Alps, uh, Pennines, Pyrenees, Norway, Central Europe, etc. I do a different continent, and so I came up with a plan of walking the length of the Rocky Mountains in North America, um, and so I, I wanted to do my own version of the Continental Divide Trail. I, I prefer to follow a, a route I've made up rather than following a line that someone else has created just because it just suits my, my approach to long journeys better. Sure. And then I wanted, I wanted to continue the length of the Canadian Rockies and then continue all the way to Denali National Park in Alaska. So it would be a 6,000 mile journey. And because I knew how bad the winters were in the Rockies, I decided to, to actually come home for the winter in, in that journey. So make it a journey of two summers. But while I was on that journey in Colorado, I ended up meeting someone called Joan, who ended up falling head over heels in love with in a, in a very similar but entirely different way to the way I fell in love with, 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 with mountains. And so, you know, one we stayed in touch. One thing led to another. Um, I, I kind of completed that journey, although I ended up cycling the final 2,000 miles of it for reasons that we probably don't have time and space to go into here. Um, but at, at the end of that, I ended up, um, you know, continuing my transatlantic relationship thing, deciding to get married, deciding that Colorado was probably a better place for both of us to live than London. And so I moved here, got married, and then a whole nother type of journey began, you know, marriage, parenthood, um, putting down roots in a, in a place where you have mountains rising above it. And so although the journey that I'm still on now isn't a long mountain walk. I found so much value and purpose and meaning and moving forward from doing something that on some level is appears so much more mainstream, but because I learned on my long walk across Europe to live in the moment, 
and focus on what I have and find value in pretty much every situation, um, it's just as incredible and fantastic as going for a long hike in the mountains. And in some ways, even better because of the, the many complexities that come along with it. Mm. Well, I, I know personal experience and from a lot of people that we speak to on this show is that the outdoors and, and hiking long distances can can really prepare you for a lot of what life throws at you. But <laughs> I suppose nothing can compare it can compare to parenthood. Uh, yeah. That 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 will uh, that will put walking through the Alps in its place you know if you know what i mean um i i i know it, it's a scary scary thing to to get into but it's also one of the most magical things that you uh, that anybody can experience um and and then looking forward to their adventures in the, you know not planning their adventures but like being excited about where they're going to go and uh, where you're going to go with them and where they're going to go on their on their own as well as is is uh, in a, a journey in itself Exactly. Yeah. Yes to everything you said. As, as, as a parent, you're a guide. You're, you're part of your job, apart from getting them through childhood safely and in one piece, is to you know give them a map and a compass so that they can find their own way once they leave the roost. Um, absolutely. So it's, you know, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's a journey in itself. And if you focus on it rather than wishing you're somewhere else, it becomes something of immense value and magic, as you said. But of course, my kids are at the age right now where it's not that many years until they're away at college. And my wife knows that as soon as the kids are out of the nest and don't need me here anymore, then, then you know, my own long journeys are going to resume because that's who I am and that's who she married. So, you know, I'm excited to figure out other multi-month hikes that I'll do. And there will be many as I get older, no matter, no matter how old and, old and infirm I end up. I fully intend to live in a tent out of a backpack for months and thousands of miles on end again. That certainly isn't me. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm sure you probably picked up on the news of the um, I, his name is escaping me right now, but Nimble Nimblewald, uh, who is a 87 year old who hiked the Appalachian Trail not only a couple of well this year or in 2021. He threw hikes the entire uh, hike, so there's a there's a benchmark there for you, Andrew. So you just keep hiking and you keep uh, racking up records. Yeah, I have I have no expectations to be able to do it when I'm seven, 87 because I you know I have no idea. I may not even be alive next year. Who knows? <laughs> but I know that if I am, I'll be walking. I'll be moving forward in some in some way. So 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 long as my as my limbs still work, absolutely. Well. I, I don't want to keep it too much longer and I am about to ask you a question that could probably keep us on uh, th this call for at least another hour. But if you could sum up what hiking means to you in a sentence, what would that be? And you can pause for effect here if you like. Pause for dramatic effect to give me time to think about it. I guess hiking is a means of moving forward and not just physically. And let's leave, it, let's leave it as simple as that. That's beautiful. It's very, very poetic. It is a, you're, you, you should try writing books, Andrew, because you're very good at it. Um, maybe give a go, but it may take me 25 years to get a book done. I'm not a fast writer. <laughs> well, um, I have to say so far, I'm, I'm enjoying your book, The Earth Beneath My Feet. Uh, it's the, the one of two books, I believe, about your your... Uh, your European adventure. Uh, I can't wait to finish this and and to go on to the second book. Uh, Andrew Terrell, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, I look forward to, to to following your your future adventures and reading about your past adventures. Uh, and hopefully we can speak again soon. Thank you, Owen. Thank you so much. It's it's been it's been a lot of fun. book get your hands on it it's really good his attention to detail is so impressive and if you're in any way interested in hiking or the outdoors this is a book for you so pick it up if you can that's all for this week um i hope you enjoyed it i hope you enjoyed it as much as i enjoyed making it and next week we'll be back for more 
and I'm back for a special episode actually very special episode so keep an eye out for that until then happy trails Thank you.